this is Kez, and this is a special holiday episode of Nightmares at Midnight. Welcome back. This is a special Valentine's Day episode. We're venturing out of our typical spooky, cryptid, mythical genre and going a little bit into just the history of Valentine's Day. I was interested and thought about doing this episode because of where Valentine's Day originated, which we'll get to. But I just thought it was funny, and I figured you guys may or may not know about where it originated from, so I decided to do an extra special episode. But, as usual, I do have to do the spiel. You're probably listening on Spotify or our website, hopefully our website, because I've noticed downloads on the regular website have gone down. So if you can jump over there and listen to us, that would be great. The website is nightmaresatmidnightpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Otherwise, you can listen to us, like I said, on Spotify, where you can follow us and you get notified every time we drop an episode. Then you can go to Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, Podcast Index, TuneIn Plus Alexa, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, and the two new ones that we have just been with now for about a week is Podchaser and Deezer. Then if you have suggestions of cryptids or scary stories or mythological spooky stuff you want to hear about, you can email us at nightmaresatmidnightpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on Facebook at Nightmares of Midnight Podcast or Instagram at Nightmares of Midnight Podcast. Then, once you're done following us on those, jump over to patreon.com slash Podcast and join our group so that way you can support our podcast and we can give you extras. I'm so excited to have people watch me record the episodes and I'm excited for people to have our merch. So jump over there at patreon.com slash Podcast. Now, let's jump in to Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day occurs every February 14th. Across the United States and in other places around the world, Candy, flowers, and gifts are exchanged between loved ones all in the name of St. Valentine. But who is this mysterious saint, and where did these traditions come from? I'm going to explain the meaning and the history of Valentine's Day from the ancient Roman ritual of Lupercalia that welcomed spring to the card-giving customs of Victorian England. Some of these are pretty funny, so I'm excited to get going. So, the legend of St. Valentine. The history of the holiday... And the story of its patron saint is kind of shrouded in mystery. We do know that February has long been celebrated as a month of romance and that St. Valentine's Day, as we know it today, contains vestiges of both Christian and ancient Roman tradition. But who was St. Valentine and how did he become associated with this ancient rite? One version is that the Catholic Church recognizes at least three different saints named Valentine or Valentinus, all of whom were martyred. 
One legend contends that Valentine was a priest who served during the 3rd century in Rome. When Emperor Claudius II decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and families, he outlawed marriage for young men. Valentine, realizing the injustice of the decree, defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. When Valentine's actions were discovered, Claudius ordered that he be put to death. Seems a little extreme. Still, others insist that it was St. Valentine of Terni, a bishop who was the true namesake of the holiday. He, too, was beheaded by Claudius II outside Rome. Other stories suggest that Valentine may have been killed for attempting to help Christians escape harsh Roman prisons, where they were often beaten and tortured. According to one legend, an imprisoned Valentine actually sent the first, quote, Valentine, greeting himself after he fell in love with a young girl, possibly his jailer's daughter. Ooh, the T on that one. She visited him during his confinement, so he fell in love with her. Before his death, it is alleged that he wrote her a letter signed, quote, from your Valentine, an expression that is still in use today. Although the truth behind the Valentine legends is murky, the stories all emphasize his appeal as a sympathetic, heroic, and most importantly, romantic figure. By the Middle Ages, perhaps, thanks to this reputation, Valentine would become one of the most popular saints in England and France. There's the part about the origins of Valentine's Day that began with a pagan festival in February. This is kind of part that caught my attention, too. While some believe that Valentine's Day is celebrated in the middle of February to commemorate the anniversary of Valentine's death or burial, which probably occurred around 270 A.D., Others claim that the Christian church may have decided to place St. Valentine's Feast Day in the middle of February in an effort to Christianize the pagan celebration of Lupercalia. Celebrated at the Ides of February or February 15th, Lupercalia was a fertility festival dedicated to Faunus, the Roman god of agriculture, as well as to the Roman founders Romulus and Remus. This is the part that I thought was hilarious. To begin the festival, members of the Luperci, an order of Roman priests, would gather at a sacred cave where the infants Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, were believed to have been cared for by a she-wolf or Lupa. The priests would sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purification. They would then strip the goat's hide into strips dip them into the sacrificial blood and take to the streets, slapping both women and crop fields with the goat hide. Far from being fearful, Roman women actually welcomed the touch of the hides because it was believed to make them more fertile in the coming year. Later in the day, according to legend, all the young women in the city would place their names in a big urn. The city's bachelors would each choose a name and become paired for the year with his chosen woman. These matches often ended in marriage. So let's just cover that because that was a lot to unpack. Sacrificing goats and dogs, then using their hides to slap women in crop fields in the face. Then they put the women put their names in an urn and the bachelors draw a name and get that woman for a year. 
Thankfully, times have changed because <laughs> I can't even imagine getting slapped in the face with a goat hide to hopefully be more fertile. That's wild. Lupercalia survived the initial rise of Christianity, but was outlawed as it was deemed, quote, unchristian at the end of the 5th century when Pope Gelasius, Gelasius, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, declared February 14th St. Valentine's Day. It was not until much later, however, that the day became definitely associated with love. During the Middle Ages, it was commonly believed in France and England that February 14th was the beginning of birds' mating seasons, which added to the idea that the middle of Valentine's Day should be a day for romance. The English poet Geoffrey Chaucer was the first to record St. Valentine's Day as a day of romantic celebration in his 1375 poem, Parliament of Fools, writing, For this was sent on St. Valentine's Day, when every fool cometh there to choose his mate. Valentine greetings were popular as far back as the Middle Ages, though written valentines didn't begin to appear until after 1400. The oldest known valentine, still in existence today, was a poem written in 1415 by Charles, Duke of Orleans, 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 I'm a Midwesterner, clearly, Orleans, to his wife while he was imprisoned in the Tower of London following his capture of the Battle of Agincourt. He was 21 years old, and the greeting is now part of the manuscript collection of the British Library in London, England. But I happen to have it to read to you. It says, Since for me you were born too soon, and I for you was born too late, God forgives him who was estranged, me from you for the whole year. I am already sick of love, my very gentle valentine. Having been imprisoned for 25 years, Charles was never able to see his wife's reaction to the letter. She died sometime between 1430 and 1435 before reuniting with her husband or bearing any children. Several years later, it is believed that King Henry V hired a writer named John Lydgate to compose a valentine note to Catherine of Valois. In the Victorian era, and into the 20th century, lovers exchanged elaborate lace-trimmed cards on Valentine's Day, expressing their undying love and devotion with sentiments and poems. For those not on good terms, or who wanted to fend off an enemy or unwanted suitor, vinegar valentines offered a stinging alternative. I'm excited to talk about this part. This is hilarious. This is a very me thing to do. To my valentine... "'Tis a lemon that I hand you, and bid you now skidoo, because I love another. There is no chance for you.' That was on one of the cards. Another depicts a woman dousing an unsuspecting man with a bucket of water. Here's a cool reception. It warns telling the old fellow that he best stop away. Although Valentine's Day can be traced to ancient Rome, it's the Victorians who originally put a romantic spin on the holiday. Valentine's Day became so popular that postal carriers received special meal allowances to keep themselves running during the frenzy leading up to February 14th. Of the millions of cards sent, some estimate that nearly half were of the vinegar variety. 
What are known as vinegar valentines by 21st century dealers and collectors seem to have their origin in the 1830s and 1840s. I read this in an article um, by Annabella Pollen, an art and design historian who authored a paper on vinegar valentines. And she said, quote, this coincides with the growth of valentines as a popular form of communication assisted by the development of a range of wider phenomena, such as cheap printing and fancy paper production, technologies for the mass circulation of pictorial imagery, and the development of advanced postal systems. Before they were dubbed vinegar valentines, these kind of sassy cards were known as mocking or comic valentines. Their tone ranged from a gentle jab to downright aggressiveness. There was an insulting card for just about every person someone might dislike, from annoying salespeople and landlords to overbearing employers and adversaries of all kinds. Cards could be sent to liars and cheats and flirts and alcoholics, while some cards mocked specific professions. Their grotesque drawings caricatured common stereotypes and insulted a recipient's physical attributes, lack of a marriage partner, or character traits. So it sounds mean, and that's exactly the point, I think. According to Samantha Bradbeer, archivist and historian for Hallmark Cards, Inc., two early Valentine's makers pioneered the manufacture and distribution of cards in Britain and the United States. Jonathan King of London and Esther Howland of Worcester, Massachusetts. King pioneered decorative lace paper and unusual designs using bits of tinsel, feathers, and flowers as accents. Howland, inspired by English lace valentines, began making elaborate valentines which sold for as much as $50 each in the 1850s. So that's a lot of money back then. I, I have a hard time wanting to spend over 99 cents on one. While the U.S. tradition of exchanging valentines didn't ramp up until after the Civil War, across the pond, the valentine craze began in earnest around the same time as postal reform. So Britain's uniform penny post, which allowed anyone in England to send something in the mail for just one penny, went into effect on January 10, 1840. One year later, the public sent nearly half a million valentines. In 1871, London's post office processed some 1.2 million cards. The number might have been higher, but postmasters sometimes confiscated vinegar valentines, deeming them too vulgar for delivery. (laughs) I'd be super mad if somebody stopped my vinegar valentine, that's for sure. Postal workers were not the only ones rattled by the nastiness of some of the vinegar cards. Quote, there are contemporary accounts from memoirs and newspapers that show that fist fights and court cases, suicide and attempted murder resulted. Okay, so maybe the vinegar valentines are a little bit extreme. I just think the ones that say something like roses are red, violets are blue, lemons are sour, and so are you. I think stuff like that's cute. I think it's funny. The Paul Mall Gazette of London published a story in 1885 about a husband who shot his estranged wife after she sent him a vinegar valentine. Because they were mailed anonymously, most senders of vinegar valentines faced few repercussions. That's why you don't sign your cards, is because then they don't know it was you being salty. Anyways, adding insult to injury, senders didn't even foot the cost of postage. 
Not only did Vinegar Valentines contain downright slanderous statements, but they were also sent cash on delivery and cost the recipient one penny to read. So not only are you getting insulted, but you're having to pay to be insulted as well. That's wild. No wonder they uh, went out instead of sticking around. So let's talk about Cupid. Who is Cupid? Cupid is often portrayed on Valentine's Day cards as a naked cherub launching arrows of love at unsuspecting lovers, but the Roman god Cupid has his roots in Greek mythology as the Greek god of love, Eros. Accounts of his birth vary. Some say he is the son of Nyx and Erebus, others of Aphrodite and Ares, Still, others suggest he is a son of Iris and Zephyrus, or even Aphrodite and Zeus, who would have been both his father and grandfather, which in Greek mythology doesn't surprise me at this point. According to the Greek archaic poets, Eros was a handsome immortal whom played with the emotions of gods and men, using golden arrows to incite love. It wasn't until the Hellenistic period that he began to be portrayed as this mischievous, chubby child he'd become on Valentine's Day cards. So, in addition to the United States, Valentine's Day is celebrated in Canada, Mexico, the United Kingdom, France, and Australia. In Great Britain, Valentine's Day began to be popularly celebrated around the 17th century. By the middle of the 18th century, it was common for friends and lovers of all social classes to exchange small tokens of affection or handwritten notes. And by 1900, printed cards began to replace written letters due to improvements in printing technology. Ready-made cards were an easy way for people to express their emotions in a time when direct expression of one's feelings was discouraged. Cheaper postage rates also contributed to an increase in the popularity of sending Valentine's Day greetings. Americans probably began exchanging handmade Valentines in the early 1700s. In the 1840s, though, Esther Howland began selling the first mass-produced Valentines in America. I had mentioned her earlier, and she's known as the mother of the Valentine, and she made the elaborate creations with real lace, and hers were the ones that were about $50 back then. Today, according to the Greeting Card Association, an estimated 145 million Valentine's Day cards are sent each year, making Valentine's Day the second largest card-sending holiday of the year. As far as cryptid Valentines, I had to look this up to see if there was Valentines that you could give with cryptids on them. Lo and behold, there is. On Etsy... There's valentines that have the wendigo on them that say, will you wendigo out with me? And it has like the picture of the wendigo's head on it. Or Bigfoot ones that say, I believe in you, Valentine, with the silhouette of Bigfoot. I think my favorite, though, is the Mothman one where he's holding a bow and arrow that simply says, happy Valentine's Day, like he's Cupid. Uh, There's also an ornament for Valentine's Day that has Mothman on it that says, I only have eyes for you because of his glowing red eyes. Get it? One that made me laugh when I probably shouldn't have, honestly, was the ones that say, I love you like Mothman loves bridges. That one was funny to me. They have t-shirts and sweatshirts too that have a UFO with the light shining down like they're going to abduct someone. 
and the words single and taken with check boxes and the taken is checked you know because they're being taken by ufo there is also t-shirts that say things like chupacabra is my valentine or the hot egg is my valentine or bigfoot is my valentine and more also there's one that says guys with big feet have big hearts and it's got like bigfoot walking around i thought that was cute so moving on to the history of the heart shape there's different versions different stories of the heart shape so we're going to cover just a few of those the heart shapes were used in decorative art by ancient societies one of the oldest examples is an indus valley civilization pendant embossed with a heart-shaped fig leaf ivy fig and water lily leaves were all used in art and ivy is often used as a symbol of fidelity it is possible that the plant's symbolism contributed to the eventual modern meaning of the heart shape. Another botanical theory involves the Greek colony Cyrene, a city-state in northern Africa. So well known for its production of sylphium, a species of giant fennel with culinary and medicinal uses, that its heart-shaped seed pods were actually put on their coins, like their money. Thought to be a form of birth control, Sylphium's association with sex might have caused the heart shape to become associated with love. It became so popular that it was cultivated into extinction by the 1st century AD. Legend has it that the Roman Emperor Nero was presented with the last surviving stock of this Sylphium. Some think the heart shape is stylized depiction of human anatomy, which is where my husband falls, representing the curved shape of breasts, butt, or genitalia. Others think it's inspired by ancient philosophers who believed the heart was the seat of the soul and the emotional center, and physicians such as Galen, the second century father of medicine, who described the heart as a three-chambered organ shaped like a pine cone. Over time, Heart shapes remained popular in decorative art, but did not gain a strong connection with love until the 13th century. The medieval concept of courtly love led to more illustrations glorifying romance, often utilizing the heart shape as a symbol for love. The first known depiction of a heart shape as a symbol of love was in the 1250s French manuscript Roman de la Pore in which a young man holds his vaguely pine cone-shaped heart up towards his lady love. Up until the 14th century, the heart was usually depicted upside down. So this shifted in the 15th century as the heart symbol came to resemble what we use today and became a suit on playing cards. So moving on to movies and music... So in the beginning of this episode was a song called My Bloody Valentine by Good Charlotte. That one was really popular in the early 2000s when I was in high school. I used to love that song. And when it comes to movies, when it comes time to sit down and watch a movie with your sweetheart on Valentine's Day, you're going to want something that gets your pulse to quicken. Something that makes your hands start to get a little clammy. Something with the heart. Well, blood at least. No, I'm not talking about the most romantic movies, and we're certainly not thinking about funny rom-coms, because no. We're talking the more elusive niche genre, the Valentine's Day horror movies. As horror movie fans like me know, 
Valentine's Day and big jump scares go together better than you'd expect. In fact, science has shown that love and fear are both ruled by the same hormone, oxytocin. You're welcome. That's also the hormone that makes people feel bonded to each other too, for all those out there in your new relationships. Yet, while Christmas-themed horror movies flourish and come out every year, the ones tied to February 14th are far fewer. We're not counting movies that were just released on Valentine's Day, like the excellent Silence of the Lambs. There's My Bloody Valentine, which came out in 1981. I've seen this, and this is one of my top favorite Valentine's movies, actually. And if the title weren't enough to signal its status as the best overall Valentine's Day horror movie, My Bloody Valentine also takes place in a mining town called Valentine's Bluffs. An accident in the tunnels caused a miner to go on a killing spree, saying he'd return to kill again if the town ever held a Valentine's Day dance. The mayor thinks it's a superstition and plans to revive the yearly celebration and receives a human heart in a candy box as a result. Then there's Raising Cain, which came out in 1992. This one is for all the parents out there looking to sneak in a Valentine's Day horror movie after the kids go to bed. In this Hitchcockian thriller set on and around Valentine's Day, John Lithgow played respected child psychologist Carter Nix. Only his wife is beginning to suspect that he's performing unethical experiments on kids, including their own daughter. It was directed by Brian De Palma and contains all of his fast-paced directorial flourishes. Then, the third one I'm going to mention is My Bloody Valentine, the remake in 2009. So it's time for another trip through the mines. And this movie starts with the same premise as the 1981 version of My Bloody Valentine, but with different twists and turns along the way. When it was released in 2009... This movie was presented in 3D. This movie was presented in 3D, which I did see in 3D. And just so you know, there was bits of bone and gore that seemed to fly straight towards the center of the screen. So this one got a little longer than I thought it would, but I just had to bring these topics up and I figured why not gift you guys on Valentine's Day with an extra episode. I know some of my episodes have been drifting more into history of things rather than the spooky side of it, I guess, but I think it's cool to share the history of where cryptids are coming from or where monsters are coming from or scary stories. And some of them can be really scary and some of them are just more science than scary. And I just like to bring that part of it to you. But that's all I have on Valentine's Day. I hope that you have a good day with your partner, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever you've got. Hope you have a romantic day. And if you're single, buy yourself something because it's about time we start loving ourselves a little bit more. Thanks for listening and catch us next time.